one source, um, one account of this story. We can ask who, is it connected with someone who was an eyewitness? The answer is yes, each time. And has it got the ring of truth? Even though it's telling such a marvellous thing as a man rising from the dead, the ring of truth is there. The human, you know, ordinary human beings being impressed by this marvellous, marvellous event. So there's the history. Now what about the theology? We could be here for the rest of the week. Unfortunately, when we get to the appearances, when I did the burial, I could find uh, several texts in the New Testament where I think we're reflecting upon, the New Testament is reflecting upon the burial, uh, Romans chapter 6, Colossians chapter 2, and um, where else did I go then? Uh, Colossians chapter 3. When we get to the empty tomb, I think I could find three texts, Acts chapter 2, Acts 13, and Hebrews 7 verse 16. That's it, as far as I can tell so far. Unless I can squeeze it harder and find some more. Okay. When you get to the appearances, or the resurrection of Christ, that Christ is alive now, and therefore he was capable of being seen, and he was seen by various people. When we get to the resurrection of Christ, that he now is alive, the New Testament drips with this. So when, you know, reflecting upon Jesus' resurrection everywhere, so we could spend the rest of the week, which we won't. But let me just list a few things. This is just a few, and I'm sure there's plenty more that, of the theology of the resurrection that Jesus is, is that Jesus has risen from the dead. And you'll hear all these. These won't be won't be uh, new to you, but um, uh, these these are I've got um, quite a few just to list them and just say one word or two about each of them if we, if, we, if we have the time. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means so much to the New Testament about God and His purposes for you and I. And here are some of the many things. The first thing is. The resurrection of Christ shows that he is the glorious Son of Man with all authority in heaven and on earth. This is Matthew 28, verse 18. The Great Commission that's been used by uh, Christians for centuries to encourage missionary work, whether here or abroad, because uh, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's the glorious Son of Man. The one that Daniel chapter 7 looked for. All authority in heaven and earth. This earth belongs to him. And therefore, the missionary charge, go and make disciples of all nations. Because they already belong to him. There's one, there's one thing that the resurrection shows. Uh, he's the glorious son of man. Second thing that it shows comes from Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, where Peter simply declares, after talking about um, how the how, how uh, Jesus could not go undergo corruption because he was the Messiah. Uh, then he talks about his resurrection and exaltation to the right hand of the Father. And he says that the resurrection shows that he is both Lord and Christ. Both Lord and Christ. He is God, Lord, and Christ, the Saviour. Acts 2, verse 36, he is both Lord and Christ. The resurrection from the dead shows that he was more than a man. He was both God, the Lord and Christ. Um, a, a, an incredible, incredible um, implication of that event. Thirdly, because he's risen from the dead and is now installed at the right hand of the Father, this also comes from Acts chapter 2. Uh, this enables the risen Christ to pour out the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had been promised by the prophets, such as uh, Joel chapter 2, and uh, promised that the, in the last days the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon all flesh. 
In the Old Testament, the Spirit was given to two, only two kinds of people, kings and prophets. In the New Age, everybody receives the Spirit. And the risen Christ ascends to the right hand of the Father and then pours out the Spirit. The last days of this world begin as the Spirit arrives. So it tells us something about um, time as well. That's an implication of the resurrection. Fourthly, the resurrection of Christ demonstrates that his death was effective to bring about our justification. Romans 4 verse 25, well, we've already seen this thought when I was dealing with Acts chapter 13. Um, you see, Jesus came to die for our sins. He died. If he just died, how would you know that your sins were forgiven? Let's say Jesus hadn't come, I turn up amongst us today and say, I'm going to die for your sins, for your sins, race outside and get myself crucified. How would you know that I've done that? There's no way you would know. This is the significance of uh, the Messiah not being able to undergo decay, Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 13, and then him rising to the right hand of the Father. Both of these things, the fact that he didn't rot shows that he's the Messiah. The fact that he rose again from the dead shows that he is, has been vindicated, has been, um, uh, God has declared him to be innocent, that is, he has no sins of his own, so when he died, he was the perfect, spotless Lamb of God who died for your sins. So the resurrection shows that we can be justified, that we can be forgiven, that we can be right with God. And the resurrection is a demonstration and a proof that this has actually happened, that God, has, that God the Father has accepted the sacrifice of the Son on our behalf. And so we can be forgiven. Romans 4.25 Fifthly, the resurrection of Jesus shows that he will return and, uh, to bring the restoration of all things. Chapter, uh, Acts chapter 3 and verse 21 is a place we can go for this. Uh, let me start a little bit earlier where um, uh, the Apostle Peter and John have called upon the crowd, repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Acts 3.21 Christ has been received by heaven when he was rose from the dead and exalted to the right hand of the Father, but he's going to come back again. When he comes back, it will be for the restoration of all things. This whole world will be renovated uh, to, the, to the, the world that it should be, that it was created to be. Um, this will be the kingdom of God, the world in which righteousness and peace will reign. All kinds of things the New Testament says about it, but the restoration of all things. The resurrection shows that Jesus will return and bring with him the kingdom of God, the restoration of all things. So why has he done that already? Why is it that there's this delay between the resurrection and the kingdom of God. Well, that leads to my, my next point, um, which is uh, must be six, I think. Um, uh, so another implication of the of the resurrection is that Jesus, the resurrection shows that Jesus is now at work conquering his enemies through preaching the gospel. He is now at work conquering his enemies through preaching the gospel. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15 um, looks ahead to the final time and it says this, that uh, um, in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order, this is 15 starting at 23, each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Christ's resurrection was the first fruits, that is the first of many resurrections to come. Christ the first fruit, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the, the Father, sorry, the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That's the verse that I want to focus on. 15.25 He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. What is Jesus doing now? Jesus is putting all his enemies under his feet. That's what he's doing now. How does this come about? Through the preaching of the gospel, through the work of Christian people here on earth. He is at work conquering his enemies through the preaching of the gospel. The reason why there's a delay is quite simple. Another place to go would be Romans chapter 2 verse 4. Romans chapter 2 verse 4. The reason why there's a delay between Christ's resurrection and the return is it's the time for people to be converted. God is giving God in his patience is giving a, an extra period of time so that people might come back to Christ. Jesus is conquering his enemies through the preaching of the gospel. What a way to be conquered, isn't it? To be told your sins are forgiven and you can have eternal life. Don't bring on those kind of enemies that conquer me like that. <laughs> what a wonderful thing that's happening. And so finally, at this point, but there's many more things we could say, uh, Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee of the future resurrection day for all of his people. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, read the whole chapter. That's what's on about. Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee of the future resurrection day. So there's, there's lots of theology behind the um, resurrection of Christ that he's alive, uh, with us, um, and uh, guaranteeing our future. What are some of the lessons for us? Well, I think we've already seen some of them in, the, in those uh, first points. But let me, give you, let me give you five more, five more lessons here. Okay. Firstly, some lessons about us. If you are in Christ, a believer in Christ, then you, the resurrection shows us that you are forgiven, justified, and fully secure like Romans 4.25 all over again. Because Christ has risen from the dead, you are justified, forgiven, fully secure. If you read the first part of Romans 5.1-11, there is no reason to fear the judgment day. And Paul's argument goes like this. When you are, when you are God's enemies, Romans 5.1-11, this is the paragraph, when you, are God's, when you are God's enemies, Christ died for you. Christ has now risen from the dead and you're his friends. So when you get to the judgment day, what do you think he's going to do for his friends if he died for his enemies? Of course he's going to save you. So assurance. There is no need for anyone who is in Christ to be afraid of the wrath of God anymore. God is not angry towards you. Christ is on your side and he's speaking on your behalf. So assurance is something that flows out of the resurrection. That's a lesson for us. Fully assured, fully justified, fully forgiven for the resurrection of Christ. And, sec and secondly, therefore, I've already, I think I've already spilled over into this one, but our future is assured because of the resurrection of Jesus. Our future is assured. Again, you could go to all kinds of places in the New Testament 
What about Romans 8, which is such a great passage? What shall we say to these things? Romans 8, 31 and onwards. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we not also with, with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are raised with Christ. Christ has been risen from the dead and this is our assurance of our future. Thirdly, uh, because of this future, we have a new life now. So many times in the New Testament, uh, our, the Christian life is described in terms of dying with Christ and rising with Christ. Put off the old, put on the new. Die, you have died with Christ, you have risen with Christ. This is there in, in Romans chapter 6, in Colossians chapter 2 um, uh, and 2 and 3. So you've got this sort of pattern of death and resurrection. And so we have a new life now modelled upon that pattern. We should consider our life, to, to our old uh, sinful life, to be buried with Christ and live as if we've risen from the dead with Christ. Romans chapter 6. Live as if you're already risen from the dead. We have a new life that's shaped by the resurrection. But it's more than just a pattern. It's more than just an example. This is my fourth thing. Um, because we also have the Spirit of Christ within us. Romans chapter 8 verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. We have the Spirit of resurrection in our life, bringing the new life now and heading us towards the resurrection day in the longer term. This shapes our life in the here and, and, and now, um, that, that wonderful Spirit of resurrection is within us. And finally, fifthly and finally, don't you think that all of this means we have a message for the world? We have a message for the world. What's the one thing about this world that, that won't change? No matter what you get up, what, when you get up tomorrow and you read the papers, whatever might have happened in the, in the papers tomorrow, you know there's one thing that won't have changed? You can read your papers, you can read about Libya, you can read about Afghanistan, you can read about the GFC, you can read about the collapse of this and the collapse of that, all the bad news that fills our newspapers. Whatever comes along, you'll still be able to say one thing. This is still the world in which a man has risen from the dead. And that changes everything. That changes everything. This is still a world in which a man has risen from the dead. Let that sink into our minds. Now, can I say, uh, I just realise my time's over, but I've only got one more sentence to say, so I'm going to tell you the story and then say it. But um, uh, we can get so used to talking about Jesus rising from the dead as if it's nothing. 
you've hung around churches for years, you say this every Sunday, it becomes old news. You sort of think, well, you know, yeah, sure, Jesus rose from the dead, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead. You can say it that quickly. Think about it. What are we saying? Now, when I, years ago, I studied medicine. I think I thought of that came out in the interview, but um, I studied medicine before I went into the ministry. And I remember a, a morning, a lot of our training was done in the hospitals, and so I remember one morning I turned up to watch an operation, which was what our scheduled uh, tutorial was that day. And um, I arrived early, but a friend of mine didn't come till after they'd done the anaesthetic. I saw the anaesthetic process, he didn't. Um, now, sometimes you can get a general, as we all know. Other times, and this particular morning, it wasn't a general, but the guy was knocked out from the waist down and lying on the, on the table, sort of sedated, but you know, still with us, so to speak. My friend came and stood at his head. And they operated the way down below, uh, you know, as the morning went on, as the hours went on, operate, operate, operate. Everything was fine, but then towards, towards the end of it, the guy suddenly opened his eyes, looked at my friend and said, are they finished yet? <laughs> he was not expecting that guy to wake up from a general anaesthetic. <laughs> I got the chance to do CPR as well. On the now, yeah, that was a great surprise. Now, he was not expecting, he thought it was a general anaesthetic. He was not expecting someone to wake up from a general anaesthetic. That just doesn't happen. Okay. So let me ask you, when someone's died, when someone's been buried, how often do we expect them to wake up? Never. Never. This does not happen in our world. Now I'm not saying this can't happen, I'm saying this does not happen. But you know what? One day, the 5th of April, in the year AD 33, a bunch of women went to a tomb and found it empty. That afternoon, two guys were walking to Emmaus having a vigorous debate over everything and nothing in the midst of their grief that they'd lost their friend and relative Jesus and all of a sudden he appeared to them. For 40 days these appearances kept happening. This is our history. This is still a world in which a man has risen from the dead with all the implications that we went through before and many more. We have a message for the world, is my last point. Christ has come showing that there is a God, Lord and Christ, and showing that God is interested in all of us, justification, forgiveness of sins, freely offered to all, the Spirit of God to, to renovate our lives before the coming of the Resurrection Day. This is good news. Let's keep on praying that it gets out to our friends and neighbours and family. This is a thing that changes this world enormously. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your Son into our world to clearly show yourself and to bring forgiveness, eternal life, hope, renovation of life and all these things to us. Heavenly Father, thank you that even at the graveside we have such a tremendous opportunity to proclaim the Kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, there's so many things that depress us about our world. Everyone's telling us that Christianity is, in, uh, is receding, uh, that people are, that atheism is rising, all these sort of things. Heavenly Father, we'd like to pray today that this great message about a risen Saviour might continue to ring out to our friends and neighbours in the country and around our world. And we pray that, you might, uh, uh, be, uh, that Jesus might continue to conquer his enemies 
with this wonderful message of the gospel. And Heavenly Father, we pray each and every one of us in this room might be used for that purpose, and we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.